You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. Today we're continuing our focus on Robert Hansen, the FBI special agent who cooperated with the uh, Soviet Union and later Russia for a period of some 20 years and was eventually discovered, apprehended, arrested, tried, and sent to jail for the rest of his life. And this, is a, this look at Hansen has been occasioned in part by the movie Breach, which has come out just recently. Uh, and we think that by sort of using that movie as, as one peg to look at, uh, we can take a look back at Hansen and then look at, you know, the extent to which the movie might reflect or not reflect who and what Hansen was and what he was about. And with me today is David Major. And David Major is a retired special agent of the FBI. And he was, for a period of time, Robert Hansen's supervisor as well as as a colleague. He was aware of Hansen. And so we'll be taking a look at Hansen, and at some point we'll look and see the extent to which the movie reflects the reality, or not, of Robert Hansen. David, welcome. David, let me just start by just asking for your comments without any particular order or chronology for some your thoughts about Hansen. Well, since I retired from the FBI, I established a training center called the Counterintelligence Center. And in that center, we spend probably 12 hours discussing the Hansen case. I would rate the Bob Hansen espionage case as probably the worst spy case in American history. And there have been 245 people arrested for espionage from 1945 to 2007. And often you ask, who is the worst spy we ever had? And uh, I believe at this point that Bob Hansen's the worst we've ever had for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that he compromised sources and methods through all government agencies. He also took away the ability of the FBI to catch other spies because he eviscerated Americans' counterintelligence tools and techniques. So from a, um, a case being important, it's probably one of the most significant ones in history which is very relevant down here at the International Spy Museum. As to Bob Henson, the man, I have known him since 1980. So I've known Bob Henson in one capacity or another for now 21 years. 
Um, Bob Hansen was a colleague of mine. Uh, he worked, he has had an office right across the hall from mine at FBI headquarters. Um, and that was in 1980. Since that time, he eventually, um, he became, uh, a deputy chief of Soviet analysis. Uh, and at that time, I was in the section front office and I was his boss's boss in essence. But I saw Bob Hansen on a daily basis. Bob would walk into my office often and I would talk to him. I would say of many of the FBI agents I knew in my career, I knew him as well as, if not better than most FBI agents. I knew him in social settings when we would go to parties in which my wife would go and Bob would bring his wife, Bonnie. So my wife knew Bonnie. So it wasn't somebody that I just knew occasionally, but I would say I knew him quite well. Uh, I did not socialize with him personally. We didn't go out to each other's houses, but from a professional standpoint, I think I got to know him very well, and I spent literally hundreds of hours talking to Bob Hansen um, over the years. Uh, so when I can tell you that when I found out that Bob Hansen was arrested for espionage, one of my employees came in and mentioned it to me, and I had the feeling as if you had just lost um, a child in the sense that you had complete denial. But the child for me was what he knew, not the man. Um, I knew immediately the significance of him being a Soviet agent because there were very few of us that knew the secrets that he knew. And there was a time, a per period in, in history, where I would say there was 10 to 12 of us in the whole world who knew what we knew about FBI counterintelligence, and he was one of them. And when I found out that he was a betrayer, that he was a spy for the Russians, I realized what that meant for our program. And I eventually, I literally doubled over because I had complete denial. This can't be my Bob Hansen. Robert Philip Hansen, we didn't know his name was Philip, and we never called him Robert. It was the kind of reaction that you had. Let me just ask you, you, you uh, uh, went over that uh, when you said when, when I found out that, uh, that he had betrayed the country and, and uh, was either under investigation or was arrested, uh, that you doubled over and you were in denial. You and I both had careers in intelligence. Your entire career really was in counterintelligence. Mine was partially in counterintelligence and, and some in, in collection, the collection side. I think sometimes people on the outside, people not in intelligence, are surprised that people like you and I don't sort of see a spy coming. They think for people like you and I, gosh, Hanson must have had spy written on his forehead or something like that. So let me ask you, here you are, you knew this man now 21 years, you knew him as a colleague, you knew him as someone you supervised, was, was there anything in his behavior, in his manner that might have said, gee, I wonder if he's a spy? In other words, is that, was there the slightest suspicion on your part that Bob Hansen was what we now know he was, a, a, a spy? Having been a, a professional counterintelligence officer for my entire FBI career, by design, I should say, um, after Bob Hansen was uncovered as a spy, I certainly looked in the mirror a number of times and said, was there anything observable about this man? And I can assure you I have had this same discussion with many of my colleagues who also knew Bob Hansen. I can also tell you that universally, all of us who really knew the real Bob Hansen would have told you that if they had made a list of a thousand people who might be a spy, Bob Henson would not have been on that list. Unfortunately, when you have good spies, there's nothing observable about a good spy. That's what makes them a good spy. 
there was nothing observable about Bob Hansen's um, de demeanor, comments, actions that would have ever led you to believe that he could have been the betrayer he was. From that standpoint, he was a very good spy. But isn't that what spying is all about? You want to create somebody who's your source that no one would ever suspect, and Bob would never have been suspected. Um, and I think that's, a, that's an indication of the man he was. Unfortunately, um, since that time, there have been people who have tried to build a cartoon character, what Bob Hansen was, because uh, in essence, it makes them feel more comfortable. If I don't make him seem normal, then I'll feel comfortable in my skin. But if you portray him as the normal man that he really was, then it's very frightening for society to realize that someone as normal as he was could have been the betrayer that he was. And that's the real business of espionage, and I think that's the most important lesson. Unfortunately, I will talk to people who do, do not know Bob Hansen and will make things like that. He was arrogant, he was aloof, he was observable. Uh, and anybody who tells me that are telling me people who really didn't know Bob Hansen. Okay. Let me, uh, let me just ask you a couple of questions. I think that if anybody had access to you would want to ask. Did you like Bob Hansen? Actually, I enjoyed talking to Bob Hansen. If Bob Hansen walked into my office and sat down, I knew I was not going to talk about sports. I was not going to talk about um, anything that was fr frivolous. I knew I was going to have a meaningful conversation. He would sit down and he would have read the editorials. He would have read the front page of the Post. Uh, he's a man who thought about things and, uh, we, and, was, and was very intelligent. He was probably one of the smartest men I ever knew. Uh, he was soft-spoken. He was self-effacing. Uh, but he was very knowledgeable. He was well-read. Uh, and he would look at an issue and could digest it very well. So my conversation with him, I enjoyed my conversations with him. And from that standpoint, I liked Bob Hansen. I liked the intellectual challenge that he was as an individual. Um, he, Bob Hansen was not what you would call a guy guy. I wouldn't go out and have a drink with him. I wouldn't go to a sports with him. I wouldn't talk about the Redskins with him. He wouldn't be the kind of the person you'd have over and have a beer and have a barbecue and do guy kind of talking. He was a guy who ta thought about subjects and issues. And, and from that standpoint, he was an interesting human being. Let me just jump to, the, uh, to this movie, Breach, that has come out. Uh, in the last broadcast, I had the opportunity to talk with Eric O'Neill, who, as you know, in the movie is depicted as the young uh, FBI employee who was assigned to, in effect, uh, be Bob's assistant or something in the last days before he was actually arrested, I gather, the last month or two. Um, my question to you is, well, two questions, really. Were you part of the investigation into Hanson, or is this something you learned subsequent to your retirement? I retired in 94. Uh, this case, case took place in 2001. So I was not aware of the Bob Hansen espionage case or did not participate in it until after he was arrested. But we have made a very thorough study of the case, and I know almost all the players that were involved in the case. Uh, so um, this, this, this movie is a very minor part of the much bigger picture. And in fact, Eric O'Neill was only his special assistant from January 13th to uh, February 16th, which was the last Friday he saw them. So in essence, uh, he was with him for four weeks. I knew Bob for 21 years. Um, so this, this story, unfortunately, this movie, 
when you say, how good is this movie? You have to ask yourself, what do you expect? If you go to this movie expecting to find out the truth about the final days of Bob Hansen, the worst spy in American history, and how he was finally brought down, you will not find that out because the movie is not the truth. You will find out a fiction. You will be misled. Uh, I have talked to many people who now have seen the movie and thought they had just looked at history. They did not look at history. They looked at a Hollywood's version of what they would like the world to have been during those last months. But in the real world, there's a tremendous amount of fiction that's added to the movie that in essence misinforms versus informs anybody who watches it. So if you want to go to the movie and look at the movie as fiction in the way Hollywood would have liked it to have been, then you should enjoy yourself. But if you go there for the purpose of understanding the case or the role that Eric O'Neill played or may have played in the case, you will be disappointed. We'll be right back after this. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Let me uh, go specifically to, I think uh, many people are struck, of course, by Chris Cooper's uh, rendition of Hanson. Now, uh, now, of course, Chris Cooper's working with the script he's got. He didn't know Hanson. And uh, so he's uh, both uh, responding to direction and, and working from a script. To what extent does the Hanson depicted in that film correspond in any way to the Hanson you knew? It, in fact, it's very clear that he didn't know Bob Hanson, because if you knew Bob Hanson... He plays a very bad Bob Hansen. He may have be a great actor, but and he may be uh, played the cards that were dealt to him. But that's not Bob Hansen. Bob Hansen wasn't arrogant. Bob Hansen wasn't rude. Bob Hansen didn't talk down to people. He didn't walk in and and as you see them in the story and ask these inane questions, tell me five things and make sure one of them's a lie. He would never have looked at this man and says your name is Clerk. In fact, I'll give you an example. When he was sentenced. Uh, I was at the sentencing hearing for Bob Hansen, and a large number of analysts who used to work for Bob Hansen were there, and they were very upset because he had been a mentor for them. They liked him as a boss. He cared about people. I was at the mall recently, and I saw a man who worked for Bob Hansen, and we were talking about the movie, and he was so upset. He said, that's not Bob Hansen. He says, I'm afraid to tell people. Bob Hansen was the nicest boss I ever had. He was a calm, easygoing man. He was not this cartoon character that the actor plays in the movie. Now, that, so you won't learn anything about the man, Bob Hansen, because that's not a, a realistic depiction of him. It, 
if you watch that movie, you would say, but of course you could have recognized there was something wrong with him because he appears as if there's something wrong. If he had played him straight, it would have really been a dramatic movie because you would have realized that Bob Hansen was very normal. Cooper does not play him as normal. And uh, I think that the movie loses something because of that. David, you probably have known Hansen longer than anyone else I've ever met. And I've asked this question of a number of people. It's an unfair question in a way, but uh, I've asked you unfair questions before. So let me just ask you, as, as we near the end of our, of our broadcast, why do you think he did it? Well, it's an interesting question. There's two things I like to talk to you about is the couple of things of why the movie was wrong and also why did he do it. I will tell you this. I spend about a half an hour explaining why Bob Hansen did it, uh, and I do it in my class. And when you try to explain an irrational act rationally, you're still disappointed because you've come to a rational conclusion. You can't say, but why did he do it? It was a very complex reason why Bob did it. I have talked extensively to his psychiatrist, who's also on our staff. Um, I've talked to a number of psychiatrists who have, uh, who have very experienced in looking at these issues. And this is not a money case. This is a man who was told by his father that he was a loser, uh, that he said to his father, his father said to him uh, when he was engaged to his wife, why do you want to marry my son? He's a loser. He says to Bonnie. So he was told his whole life that he would never amount to anything. And yet in the Bureau, he was seen as an as a helper agent. Bob Hansen, if you made a list on two sides as to how the Bureau would have seen Bob Hansen, uh, management would have seen him as a geek. They would have seen him as a technical agent. They would have seen him as a um, analytical agent. But they've never seen him as a leader. They've never seen him as somebody who is going to go out and be in charge of something. And so in one sense, what his father had said became sort of a self-licking ice cream cone, a self-prediction that you're not going to be promoted to the kind of level you were. Combine that with the fact that Bob wanted to know things, he would test things. Um, Bob, I think, did his own private experiment on the KGB to find out. Let me tell you one story that may help you understand that. He walked into my office one day and he said, the reason the KGB always is going to beat the FBI is because they practice OODA loops. And I went, OODA loops? O-O-D-A, OODA loops? He said, yes, it is a technique taught by fighter pilots, that those individuals that can observe the external world the quickest, respond to them, and take action will win in a dogfight. And it's a type of, it's a management technique called OODA loops. And a, man, a Colonel Boyd wrote this, a colonel who was a pilot, an ace pilot. He says, the KGB reacts quickly. The FBI acts as a bureaucracy. Well, he was right. I didn't know that he was conducting his own private experiments on the KGB. He ran his own case. He did a masterful job of controlling how the KGB would operate them, and as he tested them, they would respond to it. It must have been an incredible high for a man who was seen in the organization to be a helper agent, to, in essence, be the master spy. The Bureau saw him as a wizard, the Bureau saw him, he saw himself as a warrior, and Bob became a warrior wizard. On one, the day he tried to make the Bureau better, and he did, and at night, he would go out and howl at the moon and undermine what he had done. And what an incredible feeling of power that must have been, if you could rationalize it, at the end of the day, it didn't make any difference. But it must be a, a tremendous ego punch to be that much in control for a short period of time in your life. 
And there was a time in his life that Bob was uncatchable. And, and it was not the period in the movie, but it was much earlier in his life when he was perfectly placed. Um, that would have made it almost impossible because he would have seen the trigger of any indication of a, of a penetration, he would have known about it. So as an individual, it must have been incredibly high when his father said he's a loser, he turns about to be the best spy the mayor has ever seen. That's kind of a short version of the why. I do think the movie makes a great line, and I liked it a lot in the movie at the very end when they try to explain why, and he says at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference. And he's right. At the end of the day, you can rationalize it all you want. You can come up with all the issues. He chose to make this decision, and he got his own psychic income from it. And he did do it for psychic income reasons, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference. He became the worst betrayer in American history. The movie that has so much mistakes in it starts off with this premise that Eric O'Neill is told that he's a sexual deviant and that that's where they're investigating him. The Bureau knew nothing about his sexual deviancy before he was arrested. Uh, Bob never went to firearms. They have him at a big sh going out and shooting his gun in a park at night and putting the gun next to Eric's head. Bob never went to firearms. Um, Bob didn't even like weapons. I never saw him carry his weapon ever. And when he was arrested, he didn't have his weapon on him. Um, so that whole part of the movie is added for dramatic events, but she paints a picture of a man who's not real at all. Um, there's multiple examples of things that they throw into the movie, like the Palm Pilot. Yes, Eric got the information off the Palm Pilot, but it wasn't that important. Yes, they did it, but it confirmed what they already knew. I mean, the reason Eric O'Neill is there is the fact by the time that he's put in that position, they know that Bob Hansen is a spy. They have gotten the entire KGB file of Bob Hansen from a very secret source in a story that is still never to be told. And if it is, it's going to be one of the great spy stories in history. But a unidentified KGB officer sold to the U.S. government the entire Bob Hansen operational file. That file reached the FBI and the CIA in the fall of 2000. With that, they knew everything that had transpired between Bob Hansen from 1985 to 1991. It was now a matter of blocking and tackling to catch him in the act. They didn't even have to catch him in the act to arrest him, but they chose they wanted to do that. And so they wanted to take him from State Department and put him in this position where they had total control of him for one month. And they had his office bugged and they had his room with cameras in there. And they thought it would be a good idea that if he left his office and he was going someplace, it would be nice to know where he was going. So they gave him a special assistant. The first time in Bob's history he ever had a special assistant that he would have been very pleased to have one. And, he, and Eric's job was to know, where are you going, Mr. Hansen? And he says, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm going out to a meeting. And it would have been one more eyes that you would have had on somebody because by this time the, they've already had the case put together. They had this in this movie, the scene where they're tearing his car apart, like they're looking for drugs. You don't tear a spy's car apart. You put a bug in the car, which you can do in a fairly short period of time, and that made no sense. What was that all about? They showed him having 16 guns in his trunk. They didn't. He had books from my center in his car. Uh, the guns were at home, and they weren't because he was a gun nut. It was because his father had the guns. His father had been a Chicago policeman. And so they added this to the movie. 
And what they had to do is if they were going to make a movie that people would watch to make it dramatic for four weeks, they had to add a whole bunch of fiction. So the movie turns out to be fiction. Then you have to judge whether it's good fiction or not. But it's not a true story. Okay. David, you've mentioned several times uh, your classes. And, of course, uh, <clears throat> I should have mentioned at the beginning, you have been since uh, the beginning of the museum a member of our board, our advisory board. And I know after you uh, retired from the FBI, you founded a, a counterintelligence center. Uh, and I wonder if you could just uh, tell us a few things about the center, what the focus is. And, uh, and I think there uh, might be people interested. Perhaps give us the, uh, the uh, Internet address for that as well. First of all, I've always been pleased to be connected with the museum because when people come here, they find the truth. This, this is a real museum and it pays homage to a very important discipline, and that is the business of intelligence. So from that standpoint, it, it, it provides a great service to our nation. And when I uh, retired, I retired with the goal of creating the center, which has now been around for 10 years, and we do extensive training on counterintelligence and counterterrorism. We do one, three, and five-day courses, and while they're all laid out in our uh, webpage, cicenter.com, uh, cicenter, R-E, British spelling, C-E-N-T-R-E dot com. And we update that every single day. And so if anybody's interested in the spy business, you can go into that webpage and look at information uh, about around the world about spies being arrested or cases or intelligence. And the same thing is true with, the, uh, with terrorism. Um, it's a very, very robust and very, very deep webpage. And it really advertises what the center does. But um, just as the center here, just as the museum here can occupy three and five hours of your time to go through, many people tell me once they could go to our webpage, they get so enthralled with how deep it is, they can also spend three or five hours exploring it. But it is our effort to also provide extensive training for both the private sector and the government in counterintelligence and counterterrorism. Okay. Well, David, thank you very much for being here today. I, I just can't imagine talking to anyone more knowledgeable about Bob Hansen or about the counterintelligence business. So I hope you'll come back. Thank you very much, Peter. Next month, I'll be addressing with my guests some of the questions that we have received from many of you concerning uh, joining intelligence community and careers in intelligence. So I would encourage uh, those of you who have questions uh, to forward them to us, and we will try and address your questions as well. You can send your questions to spycast at spymuseum.org. We look forward to answering your questions and to discussing careers and intelligences with you in our next podcast.